When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Smattering Podcast. I'm Jason Hall, joined by the one, the only, Jeff Santoro, voice of the people. Hey Jeff. Hey man, how you doing? I'm, I'm good. I'm, Braves won two games in Boston. Of course, it's not far from where I live and I wasn't able to go to either game. Um, but I'm, I'm good, I'm good. How about, how about you? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm look, the Mets were off last night, so I'm looking forward to uh, getting back at it tonight. But uh, we're not here to talk baseball, Jason. We're here no, to- we're, we're, we're here to answer some questions. This is our first ever mailbag episode, Jeff. That's kind of cool, right? Yeah, we had a couple people reach out on Twitter. Um, and when we asked, what would you like us to talk about? And we got a couple answers. So we're going to hit a couple of those today. Um, before we do that, though, let's really quick just remind everyone, um, if you're enjoying the show, if you like the smattering, um, go on to whatever podcast app you use. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends about it. That helps the show spread. That helps us go up the rankings and the algorithm so people find it. Um, And you can also follow us on social media. You can uh, hit us up on Twitter at Smattering Show. If you go there, you'll find our personal accounts. So uh, we we love the interaction. We love the questions. We love the feedback. So hopefully people will connect with us there. If, if If you avoid Twitter, like most smart people should do, we have an email too, um, thesmatteringshow at gmail.com. Email questions to us, comments. Give us feedback too. Uh, don't and be, be, be honest and brutal. Um, be honest. Yep. Lord knows Jeff and I are honest and brutal with each other. So we expect the same thing from anybody that's giving us their time to listen. So with, with that, without further ado, let's start, um, let's start with uh, Colin's question. We'll start with Colin's first, Jeff. Yeah, so we got a, a question from Colin on Twitter. Um, and he said um, he'd like to see a show on the pros and cons of having a 100% dividend-focused portfolio for young investors. And then he goes on to say, I'm 33 years old, and 21 of my 23 holdings pay a dividend. This helps my gut and my sleep. When a drawdown happens, I still get paid. But he's, and then he says he can also average down by um, using by reinvesting dividends, right? Which That's is right. Dri- so dividend dri- reinvestment the acronym. Yep. 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 Um, or, or buy at a higher yield. But his question is, but am I missing out with, with that, that highly concentrated dividend, or not concentrated, but that dividend portfolio at such a young age? So what, what's pretty concentrated, 21 out of 23 holdings. I think concentrated is a good way to put it. So, is, so Jeff, do you want to go first or you want me to go first on that, am I missing out? So, yeah, let, I'll go first because I think you, you have a little bit more to say on the missing out part, and I have a little bit more to say on the why I think this actually isn't the worst strategy in the world. So we'll kind of take both sides of that coin and see where we land. Um, so here's one way to look at it. I, I think if you're a newer investor and you're relatively young, it's not a bad idea to build a portfolio based on dividend payers because that could be a nice foundation as you build up some positions get comfortable as an investor, learn what kind of investor you are. Because even if you think you know going in, it does take some time, it does take some mistakes, it does take some different types of markets to really kind of figure out 
what kind of an investor you are, both in what you're interested in buying and owning, but also your um, your uh, mental ability to kind of handle the ups and downs of the market. Because um, in my my thinking is you you lay that foundation, then you can invest new capital over time into some more growth oriented or um, a little bit riskier, a little bit more um, even speculative companies because you have this strong foundation. Um, and I would say you should still add to that foundation over time. Um, but that's one way I think you could look at this strategy as not a bad thing. But, and you'll get to the but, there could be some downside. Yeah, I think so. But I want to emphasize what you just what you started off with, Jeff, right? It's, it's the most important thing is just start. Right? Yep. And and Connor, you've done that. Anybody, anybody that's that's in their thirties and is actively investing and owns twenty three stocks, that's awesome, right? Because that's that's when you start to learn about yourself. That's when you start building that foundation, creating those good habits. And and the thing about it, I want to say, the other part is the fact that you're buying dividend stocks. It means you're kind of already biased towards owning for the long term. That means you're less likely to sell or trade. And Jeff, I've read a ton of research over the past 15 years that looks at individual investor performance. And by and large, like the one behavior that does the most damage leads to investors underperforming the indexes or the assets that they were investing in. Year in and year out is too much trading activity, right? So simply by, by anchoring yourself and building towards buying and owning you're already putting yourself in a position where I think you're more likely to outperform the average investor, right? So let's start with that first or outperform some other version of yourself who's just buying tech stocks or focusing on, on super high speculative growth or God forbid day trading or some other penny stocks or some other, you know, just capital destroying activity you're already building really good habits. So I think that is wonderful. And you're probably going to do better than another version of yourself or other investors do on average. Not even talking about how the market does on average, you know. Um, so that's fantastic. My concern with any investor taking this approach, um, you think you're avoiding risk, but you're probably more avoiding upside, right? So let me define what risk is. It's best defined as the probability of permanent loss of capital, right? There's risk in all stocks in the short term. That's volatility, right? The market goes up and I don't care how stable the company is. I don't care how strong it is. Every stock is going to lose 20% of its value in a short period of time at some point, right? It always happens because that's what stocks do because it doesn't matter about the business. It's who owns it and people own it. And people have access to a market that they can do stupid things with. Every stock can be risky in the short term because of that volatility. Now, you stretch out your ownership and the risk of permanent loss of capital goes down substantially with just about every company. Obviously, it's higher if the company's less proven, it's not profitable, it's burning cash. Because if it doesn't deliver, doesn't perform, it's going to run out of capital, nobody's going to give it new capital, and everybody's going to permanently lose money, right? So there's that. But I think about it, sometimes I think we, we, we overemphasize that single company risk and we buy a bunch of can't lose money companies and not think about our portfolio in aggregate, right? Because I own plenty of companies that individually are going to lose me money. Like I know that's going to happen with some of the companies that I've bought that are more on that speculative side. But then you look at my entire portfolio in aggregate 
And I think it's very anti-fragile. I think that with my long-term goals, and again, I'm in my 40s, we're Colin's situation, this is somebody in their 30s, should be measuring to those long-term goals. You're hedging too much on the volatility side of risk and maybe some single company risk and missing out on the multi-baggers that you could own, right? Because you're more hedging towards not having too much single company risk that you're missing out on some of the upside, right? Um, at the end of the day, you could do a lot worse, a lot worse, and you're yep. setting yourself up for um, a lot of financial success. And at the end of the day, managing your emotions is the most underappreciated part of managing your portfolio, right? If focusing on dividend stocks helps you do that, it's like I said before, you're probably going to do better than another version of yourself who is more likely to sell out of companies that fall simply because they've fallen versus owning a dividend stock that gives you an anchor to hold on to. And that's the payout that you're going to get just by continuing to hold. That's a win in my books, Jeff. Absolutely. And I think if you do go down the route of building that portfolio base, you should over time, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm going to echo what you just said, use it as a springboard to right. diversify your portfolio further into growth stocks, a little bit more speculation, a little bit more investment risk, and maybe even other asset classes. Maybe you want to get into some REITs, or maybe you want to buy physical real estate, or maybe you're into cryptocurrencies, right? So, But I don't think it's a bad idea to kind of start there. Um, but probably staying there for, the, for your entire career, you probably are leaving some, some upside on the table. And that, and that may be okay. You just, we each have to make that decision, right? Correct. Yep. All right, Jeff, what's our next question? Yeah, so we had another one from Ken on Twitter, and he, he writes, uh, he, he wanted to see us talk about set it and forget it stocks. So he writes, particularly stocks you can own and check in, and check in on briefly from time to time, but if you forgot about them for six months or longer, you'd probably be uh, better off for not expending the energy, right, because they're so stable. Um, and then on the flip side, maybe some stocks you might need to keep a closer eye on. So what are your thoughts on that one? So I, it's, I'm going to echo a little bit of what I was talking about with, with Colin's portfolio about what the data tells us about individual investors. We screw it up the most because of our actions, right? When, when a lack of action is the best way to go. So I think most people honestly should be more set it and forget it with all of their stocks, right? Even the ones that are in that earlier stage and there's more risk and, you know, they're, they're cash burn. They're not generating positive cash flows, right? Um, and I think with those, the buying well is far more important than focusing on every, every single quarter. And here's the thing, right? The market's usually going to tell you if you need to go back and need to pop open that quarterly filing uh, to see if something material has changed. The reality is very often when we see the market tell us something, the stock price is up or down big right after earnings, what it's telling us most of the time is that the market, again, thinking about it, is all of the investors combined that are making buying and selling decisions, that the perception of the company has changed and not really anything that's thesis changing, that's material with the company. And like understanding the difference, you know, did something important change with the company now the thesis has changed? Maybe they, there's a new market opportunity and they're going to expand, right? Or maybe like the trade desk recently is an example you know, we know the ad market's getting a little bit kind of wonky, but they, they continue to grow at a very rapid rate, and it's kind of a thesis-proving thing. The difference there is the market's perception changed, right? Right. The, yep. And that's the thing. And, and that, what does that mean? 
you don't really need to do anything different. Maybe it confirms, okay, this is one that I need to continue to dollar cost average in, but it's not telling you you need to do anything, right? And I think for most of us, we don't need to do, like, we don't need to read the quarterly filing every single quarter. Um, Here's how I think about it, though, because I think Ken does bring something else, because the other thing we talked about before that I'll talk about a lot is managing yourself, right? Managing your portfolio is largely about managing yourself. Now, here's how I think about that cadence of pay closer attention versus just review. And that's just looking at cash flows, right? Looking at cash flows from a company over time. If a company is generating positive free cash flow, particularly on a per share basis, um, or is generating very strong operating cash flows that are trending higher, even if they're spending a lot of CapEx or, or growing their operating expenses, I know I don't have as much to concern myself with, right? So you understand that cadence of the business's operating results. And that also usually says, okay, well, they're probably big enough that they've got some structural advantages, some economic moats. Um, that I'm, I'm, I'm going to find out about the company without having to look at it just in the course of following the financial news, right? It's going to show up on the journal or it's going to show up in, in one of my news feeds or something like that. So now if, if it's a company that's not generating positive cash flow, and I understand with their balance sheet, they only have a year or two years worth of cash before they have to get to that point, then I'm going to pay a little bit more attention to make sure that the thesis is working, right? I have 120 stocks, Jeff. I would say probably 60 of them. I look at the annual report, um, sometimes maybe a month or two after it's released, and the majority of them, I don't even look at the quarterly filing within a couple weeks or even a month or two, right? Yeah. What about you? you? So similar, I, I think... If you just keep a, a, a few notes on the important factors you're looking for in any given company, it could be a spreadsheet, it could be a Word, a Word doc or a Google doc, you just jot some things down, whatever works for you, and you keep an eye on those like headline numbers for any company, right? Revenue trends, uh, profitability, cash flows, things like that. And then in addition, know the two or three or four things that are going to drive that business. And that should be tied to your thesis, right? So just as an example, let's say you're interested in a company and and their whole, your thesis for owning it is that they're going to gain market share. Once they have customers, they're going to be able to effectively upsell them on more products and they're going to be able to monetize them better over time. Sorry. So that's sort of like in your head, like why you own the company, what you're looking for, all you really need to do each quarter, or if you want, if you feel like they're a little more stable once a year, is take a look at things like user growth, um, retention rates, and maybe average revenue per user, right? Some things like that, like those kinds of key performance indicators. If you right. know those couple things for each company that you own, and that's going to be different for, you know, to use your example, that's going to be different for the trade desk than it is for Chipotle, right? Because they're different kinds of businesses. Um, you can absolutely just the extent of your check-in every three or six or twelve months could be, oh, these three things are on track, cool, and that helps weed out a lot of the noise because within that time frame between when you check on those metrics, it might jump twenty percent or drop fifteen percent, right? That's going to happen, and that's that sentiment of the market. It's also driven by large institutional investors getting in and out of certain stocks to balance out their funds and all that kind of stuff. Um, so to me, it's like it comes down to is the business in that category, like you said, of like super stable, don't need to worry so much about it because it's cash flow positive, it's profitable, or is it in that earlier stage, 
burning cash, not profitable because they're growing, that should determine how often you need to check in. But doesn't need to be obsessive, doesn't need to be weekly. Um, and I think just sticking at the quickest pace, I think sticking quarterly is probably enough. And there, you know, right. we, we we talked about this earlier. You were saying how the thing that's most destroying of gains and wealth is over trading. I, I remember I, I should find it and maybe stick it in the in the show notes for the show. But there was an article or an, a report I I remember hearing about a few months ago where. Um, the people who had the best returns were those who either lost their passwords to their brokerage account or passed away, right? Right, because they couldn't do anything, you know. So, right. Um, right. So I, I just want to say one more thing that I that I was thinking about with this question because because he did ask specifically about like you know set it and forget it stocks like what ones would you say? So I want to see what you think about this. So my thought was if you really wanted to go the route of finding stocks you could set and forget. A good place to start for ideas, I think, is is to Google dividend aristocrats, right? And find a list of those companies. Because those are companies, if I have my numbers right, have increased their dividend for 25 consecutive years or more. Right. Their, ba- their base dividend, right? Right, right, right. right. You, so, can also go, you can also go to The Motley Fool mm-hmm. and find the dividend aristocrats article there. I wrote it and I updated every quarter. So. Yep. Yeah, yeah it, that's not a bad place to start. I think you could also look at like Dividend Kings. That's 50 plus years. And there's a lot of non-S&P 500 companies that are also kings that are not aristocrats. Yeah. I think that is a good place to go. You look at the Dow 30, right? The 30 stocks in the Dow um, is, is a good place. Um, yeah, it's, th- those are good starting points. Um, but I think you have to be careful with that because it also starts to exclude other companies like you don't get as many real estate investment trusts when you look right, at that. So right, think right. about set it and forget it. You don't get as many utility companies, which can be great set it and forget it companies. I think largely about thinking about find an industry that generates relatively recession-resistant cash flows and find the best companies in those industries, and that's where you're going to find those set it and forget it companies. So yeah, no, that's that, how I think about it. That's good. I like that. All right, Jeff, this is, this is, this is good. I want to just give a shout-out here to Colin and to Ken both um, for kicking off our, our mailbag episode with a couple questions we got to. Had fun answering those. Please get more into us. Again, just a reminder, um, Twitter, um, at Smattering Show, to get questions to us, and our email, thesmatteringshow at gmail.com. I guess I should probably do, Jeff, I should do the, do the disclaimer. Let's do it. Let, let's, let's disclaim. Okay. Yeah. We're um, just a couple guys with the podcast managing our own money. They're doing okay. Um, own your own decisions. Don't take anything we're, we're saying as personal advice because it ain't. And um, yeah, that's, that's our disclaimer. Well said. All right, Jeff. We'll see you next time. All right, man. See you next time.